fact, Lord, we're just, again, praying you'd come and speak to us as your word is open. Come and move and stir in our hearts today in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to grab your Bible. Turn it to John chapter 4, verse 1. John 4, 1. And I'll remind you as you're finding that, that we are going through the entire gospel of John together verse by verse. Well, not this morning, we're not, but we're taking a lot of time to do that, taking a pretty big swing at it. And the great thing about the gospel of John is that by God's grace and by God's spirit, it's going to help us come to know Jesus better. That's the goal here. If you're not a Christian, our hope and our heart is that you would come to know Jesus and see him and savor him and behold him and abide in him and be saved by him. Those of us who are Christians, we want to know him better. We want to get even closer to him. We're not doing this gospel of John or doing anything really for that matter just to fill our heads with more knowledge. I mean, knowledge is great, but it's more than that. We want a relationship with Jesus. We want to really know him, not just know about him, but know him. Because as you guys know, he's not some dead, ancient, long ago, mythological, irrelevant museum figure. He's the living Lord, amen? He is ruling and reigning on his throne, alive and well, and he's still moving and speaking and acting in the world, and he's calling people to himself. And he has a life for us and he has mercy and grace for us and we want to drink that in. We want to live that out. We want to experience that ourselves. Am I talking to anybody today? Good. So in John chapter four, we've got a lot of text to go through today. We're gonna read about a famous encounter that Jesus had with a woman at a well. You've probably read this before. And what I want you to see in this today, one of the major themes that runs through all this is the grace of Jesus. Somebody say grace. Grace. Say it again. Grace. Yeah, that's more like it now. The coffee's still kicking in for somebody, right? Jesus is a God of grace. We're going to see that just part and parcel today in this text. Grace being that which we don't deserve, but we still get to receive. Grace is that unmerited favor from God. You didn't deserve it, but he gives it to you. And the reality is, if we're being really honest, we in and of ourselves don't deserve to be anywhere near Jesus. We don't deserve to have any blessing from Jesus, any good thing from his hand. We don't deserve to have any kind of relationship or be anywhere close to Jesus. It's not that I think very little of you guys or anything. It's just that we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. In and of ourselves, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And that disqualifies us for, from walking with him and being close to him. And that's tragic because that's the life that God created you to live. You were made to be close to God. And even though we don't deserve it though, God still enables us to be able to get close to him by trusting in who Jesus is, by believing that he died on a cross and that he rose from the grave, that he paid for our sins and rose victoriously over the power of death and the grave and hell by putting our faith in Jesus and confessing him as Lord and Savior and repenting of our sins. We get to have a relationship with him. We get to be saved by him. Again, is that good news for anybody? Yes, and that's all because of his grace. Again, I love you. I think you're pretty great, but you didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. It's all because of his heart of grace. It says in John 1.16 that we read a number of weeks ago, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Just from the overflow of how good he is, he blesses us with grace. So if we have any twinge of, oh, I deserved it, 
I earned my way in. Let's just be rid of that this morning. You didn't deserve God's grace. He gave it to you, though. You didn't deserve his salvation. He gave it to you. You don't deserve the good things, but he's given them to you. So with that being said, we are going to get into the word. Grace is the word today. Grace is an invitation. Jesus is inviting us to go deeper with him, to know him better, to trust him more. That's what we're going to see today. So John chapter 4, we're going to read not all at once, but we're going through 30 verses today. Hope you packed a lunch or something. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the first thing we're going to see in the first chunk of John 4 is that you are invited. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them you are invited. right. Everybody get told that. You're all invited. Here's what it says. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Somebody say Samaria now. Samaria. Now, what's happening here is that Jesus is in Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. This is sort of the political, religious, economic, cultural center of influence in Israel. He leaves there. He's not scared of the Pharisees. He just doesn't really want to do 12 rounds in the ring with them yet. So he leaves. He goes back toward Galilee. And if you go to the next slide, there should be a map, which I hope you can read. You can't really, but it will do the trick anyway. If you look on this map, the orange at the bottom, or brown, I don't know, is Judea. That's where Jesus was. And Galilee, where he was going, is that yellow bit at the top. What's in the middle in blue? Samaria. Samaria. So he goes through Samaria to get to, to Galilee. Now, we could talk on and on all day about the history of Samaria and how that pertains to Israel. I'm kind of a history guy, so I'd be happy to do that. But to spare you a lot of time, I'll give you the Coles Notes version. Samaria and the rest of the nation of Israel had kind of a long history and it was one of dispute and division. It was not a harmonious one. They didn't really get along very much. Tracing the origins back quite a ways, a little bit on this side of 1000 AD, the kingdom of Israel was split in two. It was split into the new nation of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Jerusalem, which was the capital of the whole thing, still remained the capital of Judah, But Samaria, this city, this region was named the capital of the nation of Israel. So right there, that is birthed out of a place of division. We're not getting along, we're splitting up. You fast forward a couple hundred years, in 722 BC, the Assyrians invaded Israel. The Assyrians came along and they took captive all kinds of people. Thousands of people were exiled and deported from Samaria back to Assyria. Some were left, there was a remnant. And also the Assyrians sent some of their own people to Samaria to populate it. So you had this new sort of population, this new sort of people that were intermingled together. And that caused some conflict down the road because the Jews would say, well, the Samaritans, they're not even really true God's people. They're sort of a, they're sort of, watch my hands, they're sort of a mixed breed of sorts. We don't like that very much. There was dispute between the Jews and the Samaritans about the proper place of worship. The Jews said that worship was supposed to happen in Jerusalem at the temple around Mount Zion. The Samaritans said, no, it happens at Mount Gerizim. So there's division, there's fighting, there's conflict. It actually says in verse 9 of our text, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
They're butting heads. They don't get along. What I want you to notice is in that place, in that context, with that going on, that's where Jesus inserts himself here. That's where Jesus steps in and involves himself. Let's carry on in verse 5. It says, that was a history lesson. That wasn't so bad, right? Okay, we'll take that as an affirmative. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. I, I think Sidecar to remember that, but I'm weird. He came to a town called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. That was something that happened way back in Genesis chapter 33. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, the Jewish people would keep time a little differently than us. Does anybody know when the sixth hour is that that's referring to? If you know it, you can shout it out. It's okay if you don't. I heard the right answer. It's noon. It's noon. It's lunchtime. It's dinner time. So make note of that. It's noon. And it says a woman from Samaria came to draw water from this well. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, because after all, it is lunchtime. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So this woman comes to the well. The fact that it's noon is actually quite noteworthy. People didn't really get water from the well at noon. Do you know why that is? It was hot out. That's the reason. It was hot. People would customarily get water from the well in the evening or maybe the morning when it was cooler out. Nobody in their right mind or without some other reason would go to the well to draw water at noon. You just didn't do that. Why would you do that? It's work smarter, not harder, right? So this woman is there at noon and it turns out she's there on purpose. She went there at noon because there'd be nobody else there. And it turns out later on, we'll read it later, she's got some baggage. She's got some issues. She is a bit of a train wreck in some ways. And the things in her life that were going on may well have caused her to be sort of ostracized and cast out by her peers. She was that one that everybody kind of looked at funny. Or when she walked into the room, everybody got quiet, you know, about that kind of thing. So she's at the well at noon on purpose, so she'd be there by herself. But Jesus is there, and he says to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to buy food. Notice what's going on. The crowds that are normally at the water well, this is a busy place, a water well, everybody needs water. The crowds, though, are gone. They're not there. They're having their dinner. They're gone. And the disciples are also gone. They're off to buy food. It's just Jesus and this woman. And that is where something really powerful happens. Let us take heart to that as well and take note of that because there's something really special that can happen in our lives and in our walk with Jesus when we spend time alone with him. It's great that we do the corporate, like together stuff. I love this. You guys look great. You sounded great earlier. It's just great. It's good. Please keep coming. It's great that we've got like small groups that we can go to. It's great that you've got your friends or your crew. That's wonderful. And all of those things can cause us to grow in various ways. But all I'm saying is there's a special kind of intimacy. There's a special kind of growth that can happen in your life and in your walk that you can only get when you're alone with Jesus, when you get away from the crowd, when you get away from the crew and you just carve out time to be with him. I don't know about you. Sometimes that's hard to do, but it's critical. It's important to do. 
Jesus initiates this contact with her. Even though she's, watch my hands, she's different. She's one of those people. Jesus crosses that bridge and he goes to her. It's not only that just she's one of those people, she's a sinner. And like we established already today, so are we. We're sinners. But Jesus approaches her and Jesus invites her to something. He draws her to himself. What Jesus is doing here, it's a picture of reconciliation. Big word of the day, say reconciliation. Jesus is reconciling something here. To reconcile just means you bring back, you make it right, you make something whole, you restore it. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to reconcile some of these cultural differences, these walls that have been put up. He's trying to tear them down, this Jew-Samaritan thing. Um, But more than that, that's a picture of what God does to us in Christ. There's a verse in Colossians that says, we have been reconciled to God through Jesus, through his death on the cross, through faith. See, because we are not right with God on our own. We are not close to God. We are not rolling on with him. We've got to be brought in and brought back. We need to be reconciled. And Jesus is our reconciler. It says in Ephesians 2 that we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood, by, by the blood of Christ. If you're a Christian, you've been brought near today. That's, that's just who you are and where you're at. And what I find so remarkable is Jesus knows about this woman. We're going to see that later. He knows her. He knows all about her. He knows you. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. And yet he still calls. He still draws. He still invites us. You want to know why? Because he's a God of grace. Okay? He's a God of grace. And now this Samaritan woman, she's not really on the same wavelength here. She says to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She is thinking along these lines of division in her mind. She is, she is only seeing the stereotype or the prejudice or the cultural construct of we've got to have fences and walls up between each other. The disciples come back later on and they're going to see it too. In verse 27, it says, they marveled that he was talking to a woman, right? That was kind of a cultural taboo of the day in a way. These guys are thinking along these lines of, we've got to put a fence up and separate and you go over here and you go over here. But notice that Jesus is different here. It's not what Jesus is doing at all. We often in our lives have just scorn and hatred and walls and fences to put up between people that are different than us or they look different or they talk different or they act different or they think different. Jesus doesn't build walls, though. He builds bridges. You can see that right here. Even though there should be a fence between us and God to keep us out, There's a poem, I think it was Robert Frost. He said, good fences make good neighbors. I don't know. Like that just is, but that's our mentality, right? Just divide. And even though there should be that divide between us and God, Jesus bridges that. He wants to bridge the gap of our sin. Again, why? Because he's a God of grace. He's a God of grace. So right off the bat in this, you need to just see that Jesus is someone who invites, he draws, he calls. He's calling you and I today, drawing us in, inviting us, regardless of our past or our baggage or our personality or I'm a little weird or whatever, Jesus is calling you. Jesus is inviting you. So far, so good? Good. Let's move on then. 
The second thing we're going to see is that we're not only invited, we're invited to something. We're invited to a life. Jesus has a life for you. Jesus builds a bridge to you. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You are on a road or a bridge or something and you don't know where you're going. It's dark or it's foggy. People have, I've heard heard that being said about the Harbor Bridge before. If it's a foggy day, they get up on the Harbor Bridge. People who aren't from here, they're like, well, I got on this bridge. Where does it lead? Where is this going? Am I gonna drive off into the abyss somewhere? Jesus is gonna lead us somewhere. We know where he's gonna lead us and he's gonna lead us to a life. That's why it says in here, he says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. That implies that there's other kinds of water out there. Water that isn't living. Water that's stagnant or still, not moving too much. Sometimes if we're honest, we kind of feel that way in our lives. We kind of feel stagnant. We kind of feel empty. We kind of feel lonely or fruitless or hopeless or purposeless or what's even going on. I'm, I'm existing, but I'm not really living here. Did you ever feel that way before? I have. I've felt that way. And in those moments when there's that twinge of, oh, there must be something more for me. There must be more of a life than what I'm currently experiencing. We might double down on worldly things, earthly things to try to make us feel better. Well, I'm kind of miserable, so I need more money or I need a new car or a new toy or I need to find some new show on Netflix to watch or I need to find a new friend group or whatever. We double down on all these worldly things, but they still don't satisfy. And we just go down this rabbit trail of try after try after try, but we can never find what true life is really all about. Well, Jesus is offering us something different. Thank goodness. Because our efforts to find satisfaction and fulfillment, if we're honest, they don't really work. Jesus is offering us living water. It's something that's alive and dynamic and vibrant. And here's the spoiler alert. Jesus himself is the living water. He's talking about himself. What he's saying is, if you would get with me and you would walk with me, you will experience a joy and a vibrancy and a fullness and a hope in your life that you never thought was even possible. What I love about this interaction is that Jesus meets this woman in the midst of the everyday. You know what I mean? She's at a well getting water. That's just an everyday part of my routine, part of my everyday life, and that's where Jesus gets with her. What I like about that is Jesus isn't saying to you, hey, I have a life for you. And in order to come and find me, you're going to need to radically change everything. You need to like take up skydiving or buy a motorcycle or go all in at the poker table or something. No, Jesus meets her right where she's currently at. He doesn't dangle the carrot on the stick from way far over here and say, come on, come find me. He meets her right where she is. How many of you know that it's true that Jesus can meet you right where you are. I know for me, when I was still dead in my sins and my transgressions, Jesus came and he met me right where I was at. He didn't wait for me to clean myself up. He drew me in right from where I was. Now, to be sure, Jesus is definitely gonna change us. When we get with him and walk with him, things are definitely gonna change and be different. But what I love is you don't have to clean yourself up first. 
You don't have to become a better person or become more religious to get to Jesus, to start living this life. No, you approach him right from where you're at, right in the everyday. Bring Jesus right into your life, your routine, your everyday, your, your work, your family, your hobbies. Jesus is interested in those things. He will meet you right there in them. And he will give those things new vibrancy. And he'll start working on you and changing you. Jesus says in verse 14, on the next slide, he says, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. But the water that I give him will become like a spring welling up in him to eternal life. What he's saying there is if you get with me and you walk with me and you abide in me and you focus on me, I will start to do a work in your life that will change everything. You see that? It's not you change and come to Jesus. It's you come to Jesus and then he changes you. And he says, you'll never be thirsty again. I love that. That does not mean your life is gonna be perfect in Christ. I think there's a room full of us right now that would testify that's not really how it works. Doesn't mean that bad things are never gonna happen to you, but it means that even in the midst of those dark days, those hard times, those troubled things that we all go through, trials of various kinds, Jesus is gonna be with us. Even on the darkest of days, we still get to live with the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Even on the worst of days, we still have the greatest of saviors. Even on the, the most depressing, hopeless of times, we still have a hope that pulses through our veins because of Jesus. That is what he's offering us. And he says, this will well up to eternal life in you. When you get with Jesus and walk with Jesus, when you drink of that living water of, of who he is, it will well up to eternal life. You've heard me talk on and on about eternal life. I feel like I do it every week, but it's kind of in John a lot, right? Eternal life is not just the passage of time, something that lasts forever, it does, but it's talking about a quality of life as well. It's something that never fades, never tarnishes, can never be stolen or plucked away from you. And the verse I always go back to is John 17, three. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you know God. The essence of eternal life is knowing, not just knowing about, but being close to, walking with, having a relationship with God. And we can begin that now, today, in the here and now. And we can go all through our lives with Jesus and it will, it will carry on into eternity. That is what he is offering to us. It can start right now. You can start to live a vibrant life, a life of living water, a dynamic life right now. And what I'm saying is that there's lots of people that exist apart from a relationship with Jesus. There's lots of people that might even say their life is pretty good apart from Jesus. But what God is telling us today is you will never truly live the life you were created to live unless you're walking with Jesus, unless you are drinking from that living water. You were made to be close to him. You were made to abide in him. That's what it is to truly live. Jesus is offering a life to us. You're invited to it, regardless of where you're at or where you've been, he's calling. Why? Because he's a God of grace. We don't deserve that, but he wants to give it to us. Okay, let's move along. Number three, you are invited to trust Jesus with your what? Sin. 
This is the part we don't always like to talk about very much, but it's super important. Verse 15, the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come back here again. She still doesn't really get it. Jesus is trying to offer her something and tell her something, and she's still locked in on the the quick fix, the literal, the, the temporal thing. When she says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, she's looking for something that's convenient. How often does that describe us, something in our lives? If there's some thing or some product that we can buy to make our lives a little bit easier so we don't have to work quite as hard, we'll pay any price to get it. Sometimes that's not a bad thing, but sometimes that can breed in us a desire to avoid putting the work in, right? Convenient isn't always the path of God. And when she says, give me this water so that I will not have to come back here to draw more water, part of what she's saying there is, if I don't have to come back to this well, I don't have to risk seeing anybody and and being ridiculed and having to come face to face with the things that I've done to make people look at me funny. She just wants a quick fix. That is us. That is our culture. That is our day. There's a pill for everything. There's a machine or a gadget for everything. And Jesus is not super, super interested in just pandering to our needs or our wants, I should say, and making things easier for us and more convenient for us. He's not really here to coddle and pamper us. Jesus wants to get to the bottom of stuff in our lives. Specifically, he wants to get to the bottom of our biggest problem. And our biggest problem is a sin problem. Because again, we were made to walk with God. Sin prevents us from doing that. That needs to be fixed and dealt with. Jesus wants to deal with our sin. And I just find it really interesting what he does here. Verse 16. This lady says, I want this. I want this water. So Jesus says to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. She's sort of trying to get off on a technicality, right? We all know what that is. We've all done that. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. How's that got to feel for that woman, right? Oh, this guy doesn't know me. I'm good. Actually, you've been married to five guys. You've had five failed relationships and now you're shacked up with a guy that isn't your husband. And listen, that isn't right. What's clearly in view here is that she has done some things and is doing some things that are not good and healthy and productive. She is a sinner. And before we're quick to throw stones at her, again, we're all sinners in different ways or another. But Jesus totally sees right through it. And I want you to see what's happening here. Jesus knows this woman. He knows her sin. Does Jesus know you today? Does Jesus know your sin? Yeah. And our tendency there might be to sort of try to retreat and pull back. And I don't really want to talk about my sin, much less with God. But watch what happens. Jesus is offering living water. He's offering a life. This woman says, I want that. And the very next thing he says is, okay, bring your husband here. Let's deal with your sin. The very next thing he says That tells us something. That tells us that part of the path to this living water, part of the path to this life that Jesus desires for us is dealing with our sin. 
in a proper way, in a healthy way. It's not just sweeping it under the rug or downplaying it or pretending that it doesn't exist. It's dealing with it. Jesus invites us to a life and sin prevents us from getting the most out of it. Certainly that's true for a person who's not a Christian, right? Part of becoming a Christian, getting saved, getting to Jesus is acknowledging and confessing and repenting of sin. No one can get saved unless you come to the point where you say, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved from something. That's just part of the deal. It's part of the whole process. But even as Christians, in our walk, in our struggle, in our wrestling with sin, we have to continually come back to this point. Wow, I need to be cleansed. I need your forgiveness, Lord Jesus. I've dropped the ball. I need you to help me with this. And what I love is that Jesus says, you bring your sin to me. It's essentially what he's saying to this woman. And he says, I don't want you to bring it here so I can grab it out of your hand and beat you into submission with it. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to come to me in the very place of your sin that's happening right in this moment so that I can cleanse you from it. You see that? He doesn't use it against us. He wants to heal us from it. He wants to fix us in that. Because he's a God of grace. Grace. You have to understand about sin. Let's call sin what it is. It's really bad. It's really bad. And you know, when you sin, sometimes we sin against ourselves. Sometimes we sin against other people. But every time you sin, guess who you're sinning against? God. And the very same God who's fully aware of what you're doing against him, he says, I love you. Bring it to me. Let's deal with it. That's profound. I don't think that's how I would act. But that's God. That's just God. When we are willing to own up to our sin and get real with God about our sin and confess it to him and be open and honest with him, that is the pathway to restoration. It actually says in 1 John 1, 9, it's a great verse. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and Sounds like an infomercial. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We would confess. That is incredible to me. And yeah, I know that it might be messy. I don't really want to talk about what I've done, especially not with the Lord. I don't want to open that can of worms. It might be uncomfortable. It might seem unpleasant, but listen to me. That is the pathway to this life. That is the work that we need to do. That is the path we need to take. We don't go around our sin. We go right through it with Jesus because he loves us. He's for us. He has grace for us, for you, even in your sin. It doesn't even matter what your sin is. You bring it to Jesus. You would think after an offer like that, this woman would be jumping at the opportunity to just go all in, right? Eh, She does not. She still doesn't get it. If you look at verse 19, she says, Sir... I perceive that you are a prophet. In other words, she completely changes the subject. Completely changes. You know how that is? When you're standing around the water cooler and someone else's name comes up and their sin is under discussion and their character is in question and they're under the microscope, you're happy to linger in that conversation, right? I'll, I'll have a lengthy discourse about how bad that person is. But the moment your sin comes up, Right? You're out of there as fast as you can be. 
I was planning that all week. That was fun. Thank you. No, but we changed the subject as quickly as possible because we don't want to feel the heat. Get the heat off of me. So this woman is too afraid to let Jesus in still. I'm not sure I'm ready to deal with that. So she asks him this question. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She asks him this question of ethnicity and worship. And you know what? Let's just be honest. That's a bit of a ruse. I'm not saying there's nothing to the question, but I don't really think that's what she cares about. I think she's, she's trying to get away from this conversation. Matter of fact, if she can ask this Jesus character a really hard question and he can't answer it, if she can stump him, ah, he's not that smart. I don't really need to listen to him. I don't need to have any regard for him. I definitely don't need to do what he says. I can just roll on. She's trying to guard herself. But what she needs to do and what we need to do is take the plunge. Trust in Jesus with your sin. Take it to him. He is good. He is for you. And he has grace for you. Does that make sense today? Good. Next thing then. You are invited to worship. Somebody say worship. Worship really and truly is what this life is all about. It really is. That's literally why we were made, to worship God. We were made for his glory, by him and for him, and to him and through him are all things. Worship is an activity, it's a mentality, it's a mindset, it's a lifestyle in which in your life, God is honored, God is exalted, God is put first, he's respected and honored and revered. And all of life is really an opportunity to worship him. It's not just a church on Sunday thing. It says in 1 Corinthians 10 that whatever you do, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What this is not saying here is that Jesus is inviting us to get close to him so that we can be at the center and he can revolve around us and he can bless us and be the genie in the bottle for us. What we're invited to is a life where Jesus is at the center, where our life revolves around him. And that's actually a a good place for us to be though because we, we actually read this last week if you were here and you remember the whole trajectory of our lives as Christians is a humble one. It's not about me. Remember John 3.30, he must decrease. Nope, not that. He must increase, I must decrease. I needed to preach that to myself today, I guess. It's less of me, more of Jesus. That is the heart of the true Christian. Worship, really, it keeps us in our lane. It keeps us humble. It keeps us grounded. And it's how we experience true joy. Because you don't experience true joy when you're at the center, but when Jesus is at the center. Not when you're on the throne, but when Jesus is on the throne. So this woman says to Jesus, or Jesus says to the woman, rather, you worship, in verse 22, what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. All he's saying there is the law and the prophets and the Messiah and All of that, the path to salvation came through the Jews, but it's for everybody. But in verse 21, he says, look, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He said, it's not about that. Your people are wrong and my people are wrong. We gotta keep the main thing, the main thing is what he's saying. And the main thing is illustrated in verse 23 and 24, very famous verses. Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, say this with me, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What Jesus is saying there is life is really all about worship, where God comes first, where God is exalted. 
And anybody that wants to truly worship God, anyone who truly wants this life is welcome to have it. But you have to approach it on his terms. You know what I mean? With God, we don't go to God and approach him on our terms. We go on his terms. And his terms are laid out there pretty specifically. Spirit and truth. You must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? When it says you must worship in spirit, what that's saying is your worship isn't, it's, it's not about being in a certain location or in a certain kind of building or a certain kind of hymnal in front of you on a certain day of the week. It's not about, it's about worshiping in and with our spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is worship is not a location issue. Worship is a heart issue. It's all about the heart. Matter of fact, Jesus said one time in a condemning way of some religious people, he said, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's about the heart. It's about a heart that's genuine and zealous for the Lord. We're to worship the Lord with all our heart and mind and soul and strength after all, right? You've heard that verse? True worship involves all of ourselves, all of our spirit, all of everything that's in us. It's not something we can just, oh yeah, I worshiped some flighty sidebar thing. It's all of us. And it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of God that dwells in you as a believer. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. He is the one who stirs up our affections and our devotion and, and, and lightens up our heart to get in a place to worship God. It's not all about, okay, I gotta come to church and I gotta rub my hands together and do some jumping jacks and get ready to go. Like, no, the Holy Spirit brings that about in you. That's why unbelievers can't worship. Unsaved people can't worship because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Those who worship God must do so in spirit. That means you need to know Jesus. You need to be saved by Jesus and you need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. Easier to grasp maybe is where God says you must worship him in truth. Somebody say truth. Make sure you're still with me. Truth. What that means is that true worship does not correspond to a life of chronic sin. Now be careful as I say that. We all still sin. The ground is very level here. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, we all still sin. What this isn't saying is only perfect people can worship. It'd be a pretty empty church service, right? There'd be nobody here to sing, nobody here to preach, nobody to usher you in at the door. The door would be locked and none of us would have a key. It's not about being perfect. But what that's saying is you can't just have this life of chronic, ongoing, unrepented of sin that you're just flagrantly flying in the face of God and you won't give it up and you won't bring it to him and you won't confess it and then you, you show up to church or wherever and you put a mask on and pretend like I'm some super Christian and whatever. No, you haven't dealt with your sin the right way. We talked about that. We can't just do whatever we want, sin ongoing however we want and say I'm a, I'm a true worshiper of God. And again, there's grace in that. I'm not trying to put undue pressure on us. Like if you sin once, maybe you're not a true worshiper. No, but it's about dealing with our sin properly. And it's about striving to live a life that is in line with the truth of God's word. That is worship. Worship is not about perfect people. It's imperfect people humbling themselves before God in a Christ-exalting way. It's imperfect people coming to a perfect God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, it is not a matter of where and when. It's a matter of how and heart. It's a whole life and a lifestyle of worship that we're called to. In fact, it says 
The Father is seeking such people to worship him. If you read that wrongly, it would almost sound egotistical. I want people to come and worship me. Yeah, you know what? It would be if that was you saying it. But God is worthy of praise. God is the reason this all exists. Again, for him and to him and through him are all things. That is literally why we exist. And that is literally the way we get joy. That is literally the way that we are filled with gusto and vigor and and exuberance. It's to live a life of worship where God is at the center. Do you see what I'm saying today? This lady's starting to get it now. In verse 25, she says... I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He'll make plain the way of salvation to us. He will, excuse me, he will reconcile us to God. He will show us the pathway to life. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Look no further. I am what you need. You know what Jesus is saying to you today? I am what you need. I don't, I don't know what your problem is today, That sounds insulting. What's your problem? I don't know what your issue is. I don't know what you need uh, as far as physical things or relational or emotional things in your life, but Jesus is what you need because he is the wellspring of life. He is the water of life. Jesus is what you need. If you want to worship God, you need Jesus. If you want to be close to God, you need Jesus. If you want to have a relationship with God, you need Jesus. If you want to be made right with God, if you want to walk with Jesus... If you want to walk with God, you need Jesus. The point in all this one, that's like, we could, I mean, we could talk about worship for hours and hours. The point is this, though. Life is really all about worship. Who's on the throne of your heart? In his grace, Jesus is inviting us to put him at the center, to worship him in spirit and in truth, to cultivate a heart of worship that's focused on him. And guess what? That's a whole life's exercise right there. That's a whole life's worth of pursuit but that's the life we want to worship him which brings us to our fifth and final point this morning we wrap this up the plane's coming into land you are invited to do one more thing here today you are invited to testify why not somebody say testify see that one's just fun to say look at this here the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Look, she's not ashamed of her sin anymore. See that? There's some change that's happened here. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Look here, the grace that Jesus showed her changed something in her. The grace that Jesus shows to you and I ought to change something in us as well. And it goes from this woman being a cowering, fearful, shamed person to a bold person. She leaves her water jar behind. She leaves her routine and her life behind. She didn't go back to business as usual. She had a new boldness to go and tell people about Jesus. These are likely the same people that ridiculed her and cast her out. And she goes to them because they need to know Jesus. She's not afraid and ashamed of her sin anymore because she's met the one who can deal with her sin. She, this woman, and again, let's call a spade a spade. She is this sinner. She is this loner. She's this kind of loser, respectfully. And her testimony was a powerful one. 
Do you see this? This woman's testimony. Look what that produced. People were going out of the town and going to see Jesus because of the word of her testimony, because of the life that was changed. That's remarkable, and that's really good news for you and I. Because Jesus is not interested in us being silent. He's not interested in us being a private Christian, a Sunday morning only Christian. He's interested in us getting the message out. Not just with our words, but with our whole lives, our actions, everything. Our whole lives are a testimony, or ought to be a testimony of the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Everything we do and say. Don't answer this out loud, but how's that going for us? When I look in the mirror, am I seeing a person who is testifying about Jesus? When people look at me, I'm not perfect, of course, but when people look at me and when they look at you, are they seeing someone who's been changed? Are they seeing something different? Are they, even if they can't put words to it, are they seeing Jesus in you and working through you? Our lives ought to be a testimony with which we testify to the world about Jesus. Because he's a God of grace and the world needs to know his grace. Let's bring this in. I hope you've seen today, Jesus is a God of grace. I mean, I've said it enough times. I hope that it's sunk in. This grace of Jesus is an invitation, regardless of who you are or where you've been or what your life is like, come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Give me your sin. Trust me with that. Walk with me. Pursue me. Worship me testify about me. Jesus is inviting all of us to the same. And the question is, how are we going to respond? Will Will we respond in faith? Will we respond by saying yes to Jesus? We sung it earlier, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what that's talking about, friends. 